Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Thursday, the 15th of October. I'm Nadine Blaney, and it's really nice to be here with you. Now, also nice to be here with uh, my expert guests, our expert guests, your experts as well. And they're here for the full hour. We've got Rudy Philippek-Ventyk. He's joining us from FN Arena. And via Skype, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude, welcome to the program. Good to see you there. I'm going to start with you because you've been quite vocal about the ASX announcements website um, being referenced by a couple of people out there. Have you seen any improvement in the past couple of days? I haven't actually uh, seen any improvement, but perhaps I need to uh, spend more time on the terrible new website in order to understand that. My real concern here is that for people starting out researching stocks, it makes it a lot harder to find historical announcements. And um, that, that makes it really, uh, it broadens the gap between professionals who have access to much better data feeds and people that are just basically relying on the ASX to provide that key yeah. public information. Well, the ASX has assured everyone they're working on that functionality. Rudy, do you have a bee in your bonnet about anything this week? I've just given you a platform. Um, the ASX has only had six years to prepare for the new website. And uh, I would like to uh, um, instill a bit more of uh, controversy in this debate. I actually think they were aiming for this. No. Yes. Don't believe it. I think so. No. Anyways, anyway, we're not, we're anyway, not having a pot shot at anyway, the ASX, but it is obviously my, a topic of conversation around the trap. So good to get your views, guys. All right. Uh, let's, shall we? Just kick on with it, get to our stock of the day, and it's Maggie Beer Holdings. Now, the company is reporting net sales growth of over 19% in the first quarter, with uh, earnings up 244%. The company pretty optimistic uh, that the results will continue to go strong for the remainder of FY21. It's put out that first quarter FY21 trading update just today. So I'm going to start with you, Rudy. We all love a bit of quince pace around here. Um, <laughs> you, do you love MBH as a, as a company? It was. I think they do a little bit more. I yeah, think. they do. Yeah. So it's, it was formerly the Long Table Group. So had that rebranding yes. back to Maggie Beer Holdings yeah. to really take advantage of you of know the name association. The household name, basically. Yes. Well, there's 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 two things that immediately come to mind. Um, one is it's it's in the in the scheme of things, it's really a small company, and it has had a. A track record of, of let's call it not always being successful um, the other thing of course is is the, is the iconic brand Maggie beer and um, usually if you go through history uh, those iconic brands they're not necessarily good investments I mean the obvious examples in Australia are household brands like Telstra and AMB uh, are very much household brands but they haven't been uh, very good to investors over the past two decades um, of course, I mean, uh, there comes a time when every, every, every dog gets his moment under the sun. Uh, they're now enjoying the fact that people are locked up and cooking uh, from home. And, and, and cooking from home. Um, you still have to be, 
you, you, you would need to, to have more information over a longer period to see whether this actually is sustainable. And um, I think, given this is such a broad trend, that you have uh, alternatives that are l l less risky and, and, and uh, of, of bigger value to investors. Well, I'm curious to get your available. thoughts then, Claude, because Maggie Beer is out with an association with Marley Spoon. Now, Marley Spoon is another one of those companies that has really benefited from the, I'm going to call it the CAH trend, the cooking at home trend. So do you like the fact that, uh, you know, Maggie's been out making these videos, e-commerce sales are going nuts, and now they are associated with Marley Spoon? Yeah, I do like that that fact, Nadine. And I have to say, this was one of the stocks that I looked at right in the end when it was smashed out in March, thinking maybe there's an opportunity here for really powerful brands like Maggie Beer to sell uh, direct to consumer and thus increase their margins a little bit. So being on the shelf at Woolworths, that's good for exposure. People learn about what's available there. Um, so why not? Be interested in a company that mm. looks as if they are moving increasingly more toward selling direct that whole e-commerce um, because that is too simplistic a story uh, there is as, as, as people will find out and um, the retailers themselves selling online is, is not a, 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 a printing machine for free free printing machine for money that's not how that's not how the things work you have to organize your business differently and there's usually uh, a lot of costs involved and uh, a cannibalization of your sales elsewhere. Um, so I mean, it doesn't mean that they can't, they, can't be, they can't be selling more in the future. Of course, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that it depends on how strong that, that trend is. At the moment, they're obviously in the, in the sweet spot. Nobody, nobody denies that. It's just that investors will have to ask questions. As for all the other retailers as well and um, Claude at home uh, theme, um, is that how, how sustainable is it and how long will that growth persist? Because uh, most of them will have a weak reference nine to 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. But of course, in 12 months time, that, that's all of a sudden a different proposition and yeah. the share market looks at growth. Okay, so a growth machine. Uh, let's talk to Claude Walker again about Maggie Beer Holdings. Rudy's calling it the Claude at home phenomenon. I'm still sticking with cooking at home. Continue on with what you were saying about the transition to that direct consumer uh, part of the business. Yeah, so I definitely agree what, with what Rudy was saying, but uh, my, my point was that I think most of the gains perhaps from this uplift are began to be priced in now. So Maggie B got very cheap, but what you've got to remember, even though it's got this great growth, it still is a loss-making company. So what we're talking about is like some of underlying a bit the kind of things. Yes, it's profitable there. Yes, that supports the turnaround story. But the bigger issue here is this company still lost um, a few million dollars on an underlying basis and $14 million when you include the write downs from uh, the purchase they made of uh, one of their dairy businesses that then turned out nowhere near as good as they thought. So what you have to remember is this does have a checkered past, this company. It has had a few ups and, down, ups and downs. I see it as a turnaround story. And I wonder if we've not already had quite a lot of that good turnaround. I'd be waiting to see if it can achieve pure, true statutory profitability. And if it does, then I think it could be interesting because you do have that potentially powerful brand. Maybe they can drive people direct to the website and get higher margins. Okay. 
Well, I don't think that that's a buy from either of uh, the gents here with me today. So let's leave that one there, Maggie Beer. By the way, I spoke with Maggie Beer, and we will be bringing you that interview tomorrow afternoon. I didn't put any of the really difficult questions about EBIT to Maggie, but she does give a lot of color around the business and it's, uh, you know, the heart of the business and its philosophy. So I hope you can join us for the water cooler tomorrow, just after 3 p.m. when we speak with Maggie Beer herself. And I've got to say, that enthusiasm you see is... 100% genuine and it is infectious. Okay, let's get to something else that's been very infectious lately. I cannot tell you guys how many questions we get from our viewers about ESPO, that Venac Vectors uh, video gaming and esports ETF, Claude. I'm not going to introduce it any further than that. What do you make of that ESPO ETF? Well, first of all, I think it's a really great, great question. It's one I asked myself because it could satisfy the urge to get exposure to, I guess, the uh, video gaming tailwind that we can see all around us. Obviously, video games are taking up more and more of our time and attention. Now, what companies can do is they take that time and attention and they monetize it. So definitely, I expect to see more profits going to video game makers. However, when you look at this actual ETF, the biggest holdings, and I'm sure Rudy will make a similar point, but the biggest holdings are companies like NVIDIA and AMD. And these companies sell the hardware GPUs graphic processing units that are used for video games. But that is not really the main driver of growth for those companies. First of all, selling this hardware can be cyclical. So you might have more and more people doing more and more gaming and the actual game publishers making more and more money. But what you won't necessarily see is profits that are relate, like Nvidia and AMD may not actually get profits because of that, because they're more leveraged to um, uh, high performance computing in the cloud. So we're talking about artificial intelligence, deep learning, that kind of thing. Now that is a separate tailwind, which I also like. So I think overall that this ETF is all right, but if I wanted to get specific exposure to games, I would probably choose to buy just shares in a few of the big game publishers that are included in this, such as Activision, Blizzard, uh, EA Sports, I think is one, uh, Take-Two Interactive. Those kind of companies, in my opinion, will give you a better exposure to actual gaming. But if you're just sort of like computers in general, um, then this would probably do okay for that. Uh, I do have to say 0.55% management fee is probably a bit much for me. So I'd call it a hold, I guess. Okay, Claude, a hold for ESPO. What do you think, Rudy? I have a suspicion that the reason why you do get so many questions about it, because if you look at the, the price chart over the past six months or so, it has actually exploded to the upside. Yeah. And that wasn't the case previously. Um, I'd like to emphasize that, um, um, that Claude's observation that what's underneath the bonnet in the ETFs is not always what they marketed as such and that's a really important lesson for investors that it happens a lot of times that people think they buy into an etf and then it turns out there's a lot more in that etf than simply what they think is in there and that's quite important that you have lots of nvidia in there which uh, could have nothing to do with uh, with with esports e at all um, in general terms i i think i think that sector is absolutely booming mm -hmm. um, has it's, it's almost like a similar story as maggie beer we all get, uh, we're all getting close in our homes. What are we going to do? We're going to play games. There's also a lot of youngsters uh, who, are in, who are in on this. And uh, apparently, their willingness to spend money while playing those games uh, is increasing. It's is increasing. And it's yes. not just youngsters. And it's uh, all around the world. I mean, the Asian market is absolutely exploding. Men with toys. 
Is that the thing? Yeah, I think there's some women in there as well there, Rudy, but yeah, well, I'd say there's a few I'm people in uh, dark basements playing this. Yes. Uh, uh, need I, a bit I, of vitamin I, D. I think you're right. And um, I mean, long story short, um, I, I'm probably a little bit more positive than, um, than, than um, Claude is in the terms that I mean, the momentum is there. And if you want to play momentum, just go with it. The alternative is, and this is a stock I own myself, and we have one on the Australian share market, it's called Aristocrat Leisure. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that share price is where it is at the moment is partially because we're banking on the reopening casinos, but it's, it's yeah. more to do with the online gaming in, in which Aristocrat is increasingly becoming a, a major player. So if you want to play that directly in the Australian share market, there is Aristocrat Leisure. Well, our second stock has been sent to us by Rob. Rob's asking about Challenger. We heard from Challenger just yesterday, mm -hmm. reaffirmed its FY21 profit guidance, talking up Japan. Japanese sales reaching 60% of its target in the one quarter. However, you know, we did see a decline of 11% in total annuity sales, bit of Australia. weakness in Insto, but the retail component looking a bit better. So that's Challenger. What do you make of it, Rudy? I never for one moment thought I'm going to buy that stock. That probably gives my view already. Um, there's a few angles to take here. Um, showing my age a little bit, and for those who have not been following Challenger, once upon a time, this was supposed to become the vehicle of, of uh, James Packer. And that plan didn't work out, and so, th so th th those shares were sold again. Then, then Challenger found a new existence by all of a sudden starting to sell uh, annuities. And that sooner or later became a, uh, a, a success story. But then the team that built that business all disappeared. and. What do you know? From the moment the last one uh, leaves ship, the, the bad news starts coming out. So they definitely knew when to leave. Um, I don't like the business model. And the reason for that is, is very simple. While everyone is focused on the front end, and yes, there is a lot of demand for annuities, and in particular in Japan, as you can imagine, interest rates near zero and I mean, have been there for two decades, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, the, the, the problem is that at the back end, that where, where they actually have to make the returns to guarantee you that you get over the life of your annuities, your, 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 your yield, basically. And in the, in, in the way the world is, the direction of the world is going, you, you cannot help but think they have to increasingly be more creative and, and move up to risk scale because they can't almost, uh, well, they can't use uh, uh, government bonds anymore for that. So they have to go into high yielding bonds. They have to go into property and they have to go into the share market, which are all much higher risk propositions. And um, I can't help but observing that every time the system gets a little bit of a, of a shock or is seen as being weak, the share price of Challenger really tanks. And there's probably a direct correlation between that. So, um, no, not a fan. We um, have City saying uh, give, you know, that, that there's still considerable value, though, in Challenger. Would you agree or disagree? Uh, I would have to politely disagree with City and uh, completely agree with what Rudy said. I think everybody can see that share price chart then, and I think that that drop from $10 to uh, uh, $4 or whatever it is now, that uh, basically, less $4.40, sorry, that basically shows uh, that the investment thesis for Challenger was uh, picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. So I think it was yielding you know, a decent yield, 4 or 5%, something like that. And then 
uh, you have this sort of disruption in markets and people have lost lo- like half their capital or more if they wanted to cash out now. And look, I think absolute best case scenario, and I have to stress, I do not think this will happen. Best case scenario is over the next couple of years, that share price will climb back up to seven, eight, nine, ten dollars So you'll make good games. But in the worst case scenario, you could halve a gain from here. So uh, if you're in, I don't understand the thesis why someone would invest in this. Like, are you trying to get a, a little dividend yield here, or or what's the, what's the play? Because there are safer ways to do that. And we're talking about we'll talk about some of those companies where you can get a sort of income reasonably safely. But Challenger for my money is not one. I um, unless you're doing some really sort of cigar butt investing and and you've got some hard thesis where you've crunched all the numbers. I would leave it to someone smarter than me who does a more value investing style turnaround play. For me, this is just, A, it's not my cup of tea. I would I would not invest in something that was as sluggish as this on the growth front. And and B, I just think it's pennies in front of the steamroller. They have to move up that risk curve. I think they're probably going to do okay doing that, but there's a chance they don't and they fall afoul and you lose a bunch of money. I just don't understand who the investor is here. Okay, that is a that is a definite sell. Not, no, not in, don't not, go there. Not in portfolio. Don't even think about it. Okay, um, look, we might even combine the conversation around the next two companies because they dovetail uh, with one another. Uh, Metcash is a question that's been put to us from Carolyn. Woolworths is a question that's been put to us from Yannick. I'd, I'll start with, uh, I guess, with Metcash. And, and a note from Morgan Stanley that really applies to both Metcash and Woolworths. It's upgraded Woolworths to overweight from equal weight. Uh, Morgan Stanley basically says that it expects the Australian supermarkets to continue to do well. Rudy, I know you read the same note that I did. I probably wrote that one. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, a smart cookie at, I, I believe it was Credit Suisse, and he has figured out that by year end, this year year end, there's going to be a million more people in Australia than is usually the case. And that sounds really weird because we're not going to get all babies and it's way too late for that. But um, usually a lot of people who live in Australia are leaving the country, whether it is to, to visit their family members, to go on holidays, etc., etc. That's this year not going to happen. Plus, we are, we are allowing a few more people in. So on balance, we will have a million more consumers that will be somewhere around Australia. And they are believed to be buying turkey and quince and whatever they do around turkey. Christmas. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm probably the wrong, wrong continent here. Ham then. But anyway, um, well, there was something called like uh, Turdurkin, no? This, this is half of it is Turkey or one third of it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, they're all buying stuff in December and one of the main beneficiaries in, as a sector are going to be the supermarkets. And that's partially why, why Morgan Stanley said, like these guys are going to have a wonderful Christmas and, and obviously that, that, that accounts for, for, for Coles, for Metcash and for Woolies. Um, on a relative basis, uh, uh, Metcash is, is the, the cheapest price. Uh, but I mean, having done this for quite a while, I always think that's, that's, that's more or less um, more misleading only in the, in the short term. The better, the better player in that sector is without any doubt is, is, is Woolworths. Um, and and, and, and as, as a close second would, would be calls. And given that Kaufland is, is, basically, is basically abandoning Australia, and, and Aldi is, 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 is not as far as these guys in, in online sales, and it's, it's sort of 
um, decelerating their rollout anyway, these guys basically have the whole thing to themselves. Uh, I mean, so it's almost it's almost a recipe that they can't fail this year, and, yeah. and that's probably the reason why the share prices, after deflating a little bit, uh, are basically back on the up. And um, right? if the if there is a concept of all weather stocks in the share market, and I know there is, um, I think both Woolworths and, and Coles will be part of that. Madcash not, I believe, for the simple reason that it doesn't have the same cloud with the T. Uh, as the, the two bigger players, but uh, it's almost a similar story as with Maggie Beer and, and with, uh, with a few of the other ones. At the moment, these stocks are probably still priced for their legacy, which is a little bit shaky, but at the moment, they're really having their moment under the sun. Okay, so um, just to put it to you, Claude, uh, you know, Aldi, I guess plenty of people like to shop at Aldi, but it really hasn't been a you know an existential threat to the the big behemoths in the room. When it comes to Metcash, though, I mean, do you like Metcash in particular because it potentially has more exposure in the regions? It's also got you know more exposure than the supermarkets to the hardware sector as well. I like shopping at IGAs, but I wouldn't like to invest in Metcash. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to echo what Rudy said. So there is, there, it's a little bit cheaper on the numbers. So I think Woolworths yields about 2.7% and Metcash yielding about 4.1%. So you're getting an extra 1.4% on your money for investing in Metcash over Woolworths. But let's take a step back and say, what is the excess risk we're taking on for that little bit extra money? And I would say there are sort of three main areas where Metcash is going to fall further and further behind. First of all, uh, you've got the fact that just it's the clout issue, as Rudy said. So Woolworths and Coles being bigger are able to negotiate better with suppliers and, and provide lower prices. We all see that. Um, sometimes we still shop at IGA anyway. Um, se secondly, you've got, um, because you've got this sort of uh, spread out franchisee kind of model, it's harder to get that marketing synergy. So I'm not saying they can't do it, and they do, but I think there's a reason that we see a lot more effective marketing from Coles and Woolworths than from IGAs, and that's just because, you know, Coles and Woolworths is all just one vertically integrated company. So there's like a business model advantage there. And then the third one is, and this is the real killer for my money, is that Metcash just hasn't been able to mount a proper response to the need for higher service levels in terms of delivery. I'm just not seeing that come forward at all. Now, don't get me wrong, I've had my own bad experience with a Woolworths delivery once. But the thing is then after that, what choice have you got? You've got, if you want to order your supermarket uh, shopping, you've got Woolworths or Coles and that's, that, that duopoly effect is so strong, which is why I would prefer if I was going to invest in either of these stocks, which I don't hold either of them, but if I was going to buy one, I'd buy Woolworths for sure. Um, just because you, you got that yield, but you've got a much stronger position and if anything, I see the current setting as an opportunity for these guys to, to do better. And I thought that was a really interesting value-add point that you guys chatted about before in terms of more people staying home for Christmas and having big family gatherings. So, yeah, overall, I'd choose Woolworths. I don't think Metcash is like a terrible business or anything. It's just if you compare the two, I definitely prefer Woolworths. Just having said that, I don't hold it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, so it's not quite a buy for you because we need to be very clear on this because you know that if we get two buys, it'll end up in the portfolio. So I know that it's not your type of investing, so we'll say it's not a buy. It is a buy no. for you, though, yes, Rudy? Yes, and I, yeah. I, I, I was self-reminded by myself. I actually have to disclose <laughs> I own Woolworth yes. shares and I own Gold's shares. So. Yeah, okay, good. And I think for as a backbone for a long-term portfolio, you, you, there's, there's very few better alternatives on, on the ASX. 
And so you're not going to have a bit of prawn on the Barbie for, for Christmas? You still got the turkey, do you? I don't know. I, I'll let the, let, the, let, the, let the other half decide whether okay. we're going to have prawns or not. All right. So Yannick and uh, Carolyn, I hope that does help. Let's get to our next company, and that's Whisper with an H. WSP is the ticker code. This is a question for Peter. Uh, Claude, I'll start with you. If you bought these shares a year ago, you'd be doing quite well right now. Yeah, I think I did buy almost a year ago, actually, and I still hold them today. Uh, there's there's heaps of information about Whisper on on my website because I've been following it for a while now. Basically, uh, I, I really like this company. What it does is it essentially helps uh, customers set up automated processes uh, the, so that they can communicate with their customers. So actually, a good example would be um, if you're getting a delivery from uh, a Woolworths or something and you get a text saying, you know, your delivery is about to arrive or your delivery has been dropped off or something like that, that can be automated by Whisper. I don't know if Woolworths is an actual customer, but they do have plenty of um, big customers like Australia Post. Um, you know, I think I got one powered by Whisper the other day from my local um, electricity network when they had to come and turn off my electricity for a little while. Um, so obviously, uh, this is just on a secular growth trend anyway, because this kind of automated technology saves money. And on top of that, they have received, it would appear a significant boost from uh, COVID because I guess you're just getting more deliveries, more uh, needs to communicate with people, um, you know, via text and stuff like that because people aren't coming in store so much. And of course you've got contact tracing stuff like that, which has been part of it as well. So um, that is sort of what they do, but, I guess what we've seen recently, you can see in that share price, they've come down a bit lately. Well, basically, it had a strong run. They showed ARR growth of almost 30% for the year. And better still, they increased their customers by 23% in just six months. So that was the sort of COVID effect. But then what you saw happen is the uh, founder and a bunch of the early venture capital investors sold a whole bunch of shares mm -hmm. on market at ask $3.80. You. Yeah, so that pushed the share price down, understandably, just because share prices are ultimately, at least in the short term, well, always, it's about supply and demand. So they just released a whole lot of supply onto the market. Uh, that saw the share price come down a long way. And um, look, ultimately, although I've had some difficulty communicating with the CEO in the past, uh, I don't see this as a massive bear signal. He still owns a lot of shares. It's totally understandable that he gets his sort of big payday. And so I don't see this as a major problem. I've, I did sell a bit of my shares before they came out of escrow. So, because I could foresee that they might sell. So I sold a little bit of shares around $5, a bit below, and then I've just held them since then. And it looks like the share, maybe, you know, that supply has been absorbed now. So you're starting to see the share price go up again. I don't really know short term, but I am holding like a roughly 3% position uh, long term uh, because I want to see how long and how hard this tailwind blows just because there's this pure demand for their product that's been driven by COVID, but it was already there before. So yeah, yeah that's me. I hold it. I like it. Okay, but if you're Peter and you've seen the share price rise 163% over the past year, would you be buying now, Claude? Uh, it's a hard one between a buy and a hold for me, but I have to lean towards buy. I probably might buy a smaller position than I currently have, but I definitely would just put my toe in the door there. I would buy, a, a, it is a little buy for me because I think the risk reward is still favorable. This tailwind could blow long and hard, or it could be, you know, things slow down so it's not a perfect 
It's not a perfect shot. It's not the best buy I've seen on the market, but I do lean to buy, yeah. Okay. Jeremy Wells, the CEO, you know, selling down a bit of his holdings in the company that he created. I mean, can you fault him for that, Rudy? No. I'm not a big fan of selling shares when when founders sell because usually they have a tax bill to pay or they want a, they want a nice house or something That's like that. That's what we're told, yeah. Or a, 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 new, a new wife. Um, I'm going to say no because otherwise it goes into the into the portfolio. But um, I, I sort of agree with with most what uh, what what um, Claude says, and I do think investors can 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 give them the benefit of the doubt so far. But what, what, what a little bit of, of of other other direction here. This company is not listed for that long. Um, since listing, let's face it, uh, technology stocks have been the uh, the color of the day of the month of the year. So it's very easy to, 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 be, uh, to be scooped up in that theme and, 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 and always pampering over any questions that might, that might remain in this early stage of their public uh, existence. On my observation, which I, which I continuously um, emphasize to people, it takes about three to four years for a listed company really shows its true colors. Having said so, it, do, it is in the right sector. It, it does have its early successes. It, it, it does have its early fans now. So you could give it you could give it the benefit of the doubt in the form of, of a small proportion in your portfolio. Nevertheless, where I slightly disagree with Claude is I I'm not so sure whether at this level the the, the balance between risk and reward is favorable. So I would basically say to people, you know, listen, this is a small company, not many people know about it. This share market by 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 no means is is done with volatility. Elections still coming up. Um, we haven't seen uh, any stimulus programs in the US, the share market will be volatile and with that volatility will probably come at some point a, a cheaper share price. So just be patient and wait for your moment. All right, uh, we are past the halfway mark. So time to talk to you about the portfolio that we've been tracking since July the 1st. So all of the companies that get a two thumbs up from two expert guests and they've cracked on to our methodology or a buy from both of our experts, um, we've been putting into this portfolio. So let's get a check on how we're traveling so far. So weekly, we are up around three and a half percent or over just over eight percent higher on a monthly return since the beginning of July. Uh, the portfolio is up over eight percent. So some of the companies that we've added to the portfolio recently, Kogan, NextDC, Smart Group, Sims, and James Hardy, which was out with a uh, pretty positive update yesterday. Credit Corp, though, and Marley Spoon were taken out. So you can check out all the stocks that we currently have in the call portfolio by heading to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And we'll continue to keep you updated as to how that is going. Um, now, I think we're going to recap are we? What we have come across so far today. Uh, we are talking about the stock of the day, which was Maggie Beer Holdings. Listen, both of the guys said nah. Um, look, Rudy said you might like the e-commerce thematic, but it is not a money printing machine. Claude Walker is saying that, uh, look, it could be a turnaround story, but a lot of that might already be baked in. So that is Maggie Beer Holdings. All right, let's go to Vanek Vectors Video Gaming and Esports ETF ESPO. That's for Tenya. Uh, Claude Walker says, look, um, it's a hold for him at best. The management fee a bit high. Choose the game publishers themselves. Rudy kind of concurs, says that Aristocrat Leisure is one of those you might want to look for in that space. But it is, you know, just a booming sector overall. So that's uh, not a buy from either of the gents. 
Challenger, CGF Group, not finding a lot of love here. So Rudy says, never for a minute has he ever thought about buying the stock. Uh, Claude Walker says he completely agrees with Rudy. The investment thesis basically is broken. And if you're chasing yield, look, it's not a safe yield to chase. Let's go double header, Metcash and Woolworths. So Claude Walker says he likes to shop at IGA, but he doesn't like investing in it, uh, you know, for many reasons, but one of which is you need to get online delivery nutted down. And he doesn't think that uh, they have that done just yet. So a bit of bit too much risk there. Rudy, in full disclosure, owns Woolworths. He owns Kohl's. He's not keen on Metcash. He says there's, um, you know, just more risk associated with Metcash when Woolworths and Kohl's is a pretty sure thing. Now, Claude Walker prefers Woolworths over Metcash, but it's not a buy from him. Sorry, Rudy, that's not going into the portfolio. And then the last company that we were just discussing is Whisper. Boy, my notes are messy today, but uh, Claude Walker owns Whisper. He says that it's a small buy. Uh, it's a buy for him. He's leaning towards a buy. I guess my question to him was just about the massive share price gain that it's seen over the past year, 163%. And that's sort of where Rudy picks up the conversation saying, look, um, risk versus reward, considering the gains that the company has made in the past year, when it's relatively new, hasn't been listed that long. He says, no, nah, you know, um, he gives the company the benefit of the doubt when it comes to its story, but it just doesn't feel like you need to latch on to this story at this time. So that do it, Rudy, for you, Claude. That, that, I think that was a pretty good summary. Okay, let's move on yeah, from that. Okay, Helen has asked about Senex Energy. So Senex was out with an update this week. Um, it's got a few sort of things, I would presume, Claude, working in its favor. Gas-led recovery that's being talked about by the federal government. It's got fields close to existing infrastructure that it's capitalized on and, it, and it's looking to, to pump more of the gas um, and it's doing so quite well. Uh, do you like Senex Energy for a oil and gas play? Well, that's a well-phrased question, Nadine, because as you know, I'm not big on oil and gas plays <laughs> in general, but for an oil and gas play, I actually do think Senex looks okay. So now if we look at that long-term chart, what we see here is your typical resource play story. Um, even if you go back further, you know, there's basically no real returns for shareholders over a really long time. Um, so basically, you know, if, if you don't know who the patsy at the poker table is, you're the patsy. So generally speaking, as a long-term hold, I could not vouch for this company. But right now, I do kind of think it's interesting and I'll explain why. The reason is, first of all, you've got director buying at around the current price. Second of all, you've got analyst estimates basically saying that this is moving into profit, so that's a profit inflection point. And based on, say, earnings in a couple of years, then it's probably on um, around 10 times earnings. Now, of course, these analyst estimates could be very far off because the poor analysts don't know what the oil price is going to be in a couple of years, and, and then the gas price is often linked, is, is linked to that. So um, that's, that's not a guaranteed thing. But basically, I do think the risk-reward for a short-term, medium-term recovery play uh, is kind of looking all right. And basically, these guys have done a whole bunch of CapEx spend, which they're reducing now, which will give them the ability to deleverage, reducing their debt. Now, without getting into the dynamics of it, basically, once you start reducing that leverage, which also equates to risk, the risk reward starts shifting more and more in the favor of, um, you know, as a buy. So generally speaking, I do think it's reasonably well positioned. Now, you know, I'm totally biased against this sector. So 
forget it for me. I can't give it a buy. I'll give it a hold at best. But I do think it's kind of interesting for, for the sector, yes. Yeah, that's about as excited about an oil and gas play that I've ever heard you, Claude. So we'll leave it at that. Take the hold. That's a question for Hel Helen. Um, Rudy, I was reading on FN Arena, I'll give you that plug, one of the brokers escapes my mind right now saying that capital management is, you know, the next key catalyst for Cenex. I spoke with Ian Davies, who's the CEO and MD, a couple of days ago and said, all right, what are the plans for capital management? And he said, look, it is a priority. Growth is a priority, though. The balance sheet is a priority, but they are, you know, they're thinking about it. You know what? Claude almost had me fooled. I was almost thinking, you know what, we're going to put Sandex in, in the portfolio. <laughs> so we're not, no we're not. Um, okay, observation number one. The energy sector has over the past decade been the absolute worst performer in the Australian share market. Um, and that definitely goes for the smaller players. However, um, and I th actually think um, energy is probably going to go the same way as coal, which means we will, we will see a, a long-term slide happening uh, not too far into the future. How can you defend against that is by, by picking the players that have uh, growth by themselves irrespectively of where, the, where the, the price of oil and gas are going. And here comes Senex at this point in time probably into play and it's probably one of the better ones to pick in oil and gas right now. Why is that? Is that if everything goes according to plan from here onwards, they are going to double their production by 2024 for memory. And even if that would be 2025 or whatever, that is a lot of growth that, that is organically in, embedded in the business plans now. So they just have to execute on all that. And then and if, if then the, the oil and the gas price go up, that's an extra kicker you get. And then if everything goes to plan, at some stage they will have excess, excess cash and then they can really make it interesting for shareholders. So um, in that oil and gas sector, I think this is probably one of the better propositions. And I happen to know as well that they are um, having a sort of like a presentation to investors uh, in two weeks time by the end of the month. And probably between now and then that probably instills some excitement in the market. So I, I would think in, in, a, in the short term, the share price is probably going to look upwards, all else being equal. But uh, Unfortunately, Claude said hold, so it's not going into portfolio. No, so is it a buy? <laughs> but I, but I, I, th I think you can you can jump on here and 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 both for the for the short term in in with the presentation later this month as for the next few years because if they execute, the share price will be a lot higher. Yeah, because demand might go down, but there is still going to be the need fundamentally yes. for gas. And, and for them specifically, giving they they already spent the money, yeah. they will will produce more, so they will get. Me, more yeah. revenue, more, more profits. Okay, Helen, so that's some, um, some fat for you to chew over. Let's go to Chorus, and this is from Omer. So it's a provider of telecommunications infrastructure in New Zealand, for those of you not in the know. Um, CNU is the ticker code. Rudy, let's start with you. So uh, what comes to my mind is regulatory risk. Well, this is essentially the NBN from New Zealand Yeah. in, in short and, and long. Um, which basically means they have that typical characteristics that investors tend to, to think of when they look at Telstra. Um, it's, it's a reliable dividend payer. It, it has, it has obviously, it has to, uh, has to please the government over there, but, it but also is seen as crucial infrastructure in New Zealand. Um, I think for a long time it went sideways and it has had this boost in recent times, as you can see there, um, which, which probably means that the share price by here is, is, is not cheap. And also that the yield available is, is, is not that high. But on current expectations from analysts, they will actually see quite 
quite some large growth, in particular also in the dividend, for the, and that maybe that's reflected in the share price. Um, in general terms, I'm not so sure whether we have to go to New Zealand to buy a telco. We have, we have a few of our own, and they all have a little bit of a checkered uh, history. Um, so it's, it would be, let, let's put this in claw terms, it would be a hold at best. <laughs> okay, Claude, <laughs> I don't want to steal your thunder. I know you like higher growth stocks. I know that you know, you've got a criteria, but not everybody is you. And uh, sometimes boring can be good, especially if you're looking for yield. So does that help color your response to Chorus at all? What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're steering me in a, in a different direction, which I think is fair enough. So as you say, not really my kind of stock, but this would have been exactly my kind of stock a couple of years ago when, it, when I think it was genuinely cheap. And I did look at it then. I never had the guts to uh, swing at it because it had had, in my opinion, some sort of management problems there, which they obviously got sorted out. Um, because they've sort of been getting their ship in order over the last couple of years, or at least that's what it looks like. I'd, I, I sort of agree with Rudy, but I'll actually take, even with my own hat on, a little bit more of a favourable view of it. So based on their guidance, it's trading on around about a 3% yield. I think it's had below that. And uh, there are two key points I'd like to hit. So first of all, this is we do have to think of this as a low-growth defensive business. But as you say, Nadine, some people do want to have low growth defensive businesses in their portfolio and that is totally legitimate and as such i actually think chorus is one that is still worth looking at even though it has come a lot there's come up a lot there's there's not i don't see the same kind of blow up risk um as there would be say for challenger with chorus now you do have regulatory risk and i'm glad we touched on that but i suspect some of that very recent lift we've seen that we can see on that three-year chart comes from the fact um, that the, they have a commission that, that helps set pricing stuff in New Zealand and they've just put out their new recommendations and Chorus put out an announcement saying today's decision reflects some improvements to the conditions last draft decisions in key areas of weighted average uh, return on capital. Um, so they basically saying, oh, look, we think that they're being a little bit more generous to us now, essentially. So maybe that means that the regulatory risk isn't too bad right now. And um, I guess then the final thing that I think could be pushing the share price up and maybe is also a good thing for the business is that they're saying that they're seeing something of a fixed line renaissance as consumers place even greater value on the reliability and unlimited capacity of fiber relative to other broadband technologies. So because this is a good fiber network and because it's paying a decent yield, yes, there's that regulatory risk, which is why you need to have a diversified portfolio. But overall, I would actually say this... This gets a sort of a firm hold for me. Even I can't I can't say buy because I'd never buy it at, at this sort of pricing myself. But I do think it's a decent yield stock. So definitely one for the watch list for um, income focused investors. I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's a firm hold and a weak hold. <laughs> okay. I've just nice. made that note just so that I don't mess <laughs> that one up. All right. Trusty pen today. Uh, let's get to stock number eight. This is coming to us from Luke Shaver Shop. Shaver Shop was out with a pretty stellar update just yesterday. 19.8% growth in the September quarter. Uh, management saying that it is well-placed to continue benefiting from accelerating trends toward DIY personal, personal care. Um, Claude, it's a retailer. I think it was close to 200% online growth. But we all know what times we're living in with stimulus and work from home and all the rest of it. So is this a narrative that can continue for Shaver Shop? 
Yeah, so that's a that's a good question, and you're definitely throwing the curly. You're making it easy for me. Yeah. So the good point is you've got 192% online sales, but growth quarter on quarter, which is definitely impressive. Now the other point you want to look at is that if you look at the longer term history of Shaver Shop, there are two things I would note, which is one is that sometimes this stock has gotten really cheap. So it's definitely so far in its listed history, in my opinion, it's failed to ever really capture the uh, imagination of the market. And it's often been a favorite of value investors who by and large have actually been right since it must, it, it has come up a long way from where it has been, not just this year, but even in the past. Um, secondly, um, I think the difficult thing for me is that it's not just an online story. That's sort of the sexy part of the story, but it's not just an online story. Overall sales growth is up about 20% at the moment. But the thing that gets me is whenever I see there, so yeah, you can see that longer term chart, basically it become a value play when it got really cheap there and now it's come back up. But the question is, is this a secular growth story? If we take away the pandemic, is this a secular growth story for a devoted shop that sells shaving stuff and similar. Now, my guess would be that this is not a great secular growth story. So maybe it's still got a little bit in it. And um, definitely the online sales growth is really promising. Um, but my guess is that there's not a long multi-year compounding uh, rollout growth story here just because it's so niche and it's niche retail. Having said that, I think many people who read my writing would know that if there's one area that I'm quite weak in, it's retail. Because I really struggle to uh, always understand the consumer because I think I'm quite an atypical consumer. So I take what I say there with a grain of salt. But for me, um, I like this one at the moment, um, maybe for a medium term trade. I note that a director was buying shares recently at uh, just below current prices. So I think it looks pretty good. I wouldn't be worried about it. But for me, I would just leave it on hold rather than buy just because whenever I see the stores, they don't have many people in them and, and that yeah. was even before we had COVID. Yeah, um, Rudy, are you an atypical consumer? How did you guess? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've walked into one of their shops maybe once or twice and every time I felt that the, the, the price of what I was looking for was quite on the expensive side. And, uh, and the other observations, which also is the, is the lack of foot traffic and they, so th that means they, they have to discount quite a lot. Listen. Summarizing Claude's uh, story, because I, I, I would have said it uh, in, in similar ways, um, you have to be a little bit careful with, with, with companies that all of a sudden, because of the lockdowns, uh, now have the wind in the sails, and previously they didn't. Yeah. Um, and that makes you question the longevity of it. And, and again, I think there are better retailers out there that are less dependent on the, on the pandemic in itself to, to have a longer term growth story than just in the moment. And, and they, of course, these guys at the moment, when moment under the sun, they have to enjoy it, they should. But you sort of question when, when hopefully we can, at some stage we can go to a more normalized mm -hmm. society again. And then you have to question how much of what is happening yeah. today People is People might still be going back to them. the hairdressers, they might be going back to the barber, they might not want to be doing, you know, Men with, themselves. Men, men with beards. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to have to whip through these these next ones. So Lisa has written in asking about 5GN is the ticker code. 5G Networks, internet service provider company, just uh, made a bid for Web Central and uh, did win. But these are not household names, Rudy. No, and it's a, it's again, it's a small company. It has a funky name though, because everyone want, everyone wants to be associated with 5G, and if they're not today, they will be tomorrow. Um, 
but in a very, in a very uh, brief nutshell, it, 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 it's, it's a small company. Um, yes, it's, it's now making conversion from a low margin hardware to higher margin services. So you can give them the benefit of the doubt, but because of the size, because of the, the longer to medium term history they've had, uh, which wasn't always successful, um, you have to treat it with a little bit of caution. And I would say, don't, you can give it a punt, but don't make it too large yeah, right, uh, Lisa. in your portfolio. So that is, uh, Rudy, and it depends on if you believe that investing is taking a punt. I'm curious to get your thoughts on 5GN, Claude. Yeah, well, I have to basically agree with Rudy's conclusion there, but I'll try and uh, give a slightly different take on it because I know a lot of my readers love this one. I get emails about it all the time. So basically what this company is doing is rolling up other sort of related telecommunications company. It makes like frequent acquisitions, which gives it at least top line growth. Now, both Web Central and 5G networks are companies that love uh, to get the, uh, get the readers to... Uh, look at underlying numbers right so web central itself which was by the way previously arc group which was by the way previously uh, melbourne it i think right oh, so yeah. in, in my memory you've got three different names for this company which was a massive blow up so i think ultimately if i had to bet that is basically how these roll up web sort of stuff uh, these businesses probably end so you'll have a big period where it's gaining momentum it's using a high share price to fund purchases of other businesses to fuel this growth growth narrative so you're if you're in it for a momentum trade i don't know when that ends but all i know is you've seen it with focus you've seen it with a lot of different companies that do this roll-up model in telco it kind of works um because as companies get bigger more and more people pay attention maybe it even gets in the index etc etc but um when that uh, flywheel of acquisitions starts going in reverse you get a lower share price they can no longer use their high share price to uh, make acquisitions easily um, and basically when you have enough people doing this the price of making acquisitions goes up so yeah. it's harder to get anything half cheap and eventually it blows up so for me it's not something that I can get super interested in as like a long-term uh, okay. buy and hold kind of thing uh, so no for me but I don't know when the momentum on this story will fade yeah okay Nadine, um, Nadine probably also worth pointing out Melbourne RT was not a great company yeah uh, and now they're buying it. it. It's not becoming a better company because right. they're buying it. Right. Okay. This last one, Biz Alloy Steel Group. I know you guys had to do your research on this one. Adam has written in about it. It's Australia's only manufacturer of high tensile and abrasion resistant, quenched and tempered steel plate used for armor, structural, and wear resistant steel applications. Claude, is it a buy, a hold, or a sell? For me, I would probably. Um, not not being in my wheelhouse here with this industrial stuff i would probably if i had to choose uh, i would sell because the director is recently selling um and and selling in in large numbers so i think you saw a director take off more than one mil like the majority of their shareholding recently generally speaking um these kind of businesses have a lot of operating leverage so they are cyclical things now as you guys know, I'm not a big investor in cyclical companies because what it requires is market timing. So what you want to do is you want to buy when um, the cycle's going badly and sell when you know th there's an up cycle there mm -hmm. or things are about to go. So for me, not being an expert on this particular industry, I think the safest thing that I could do would be to take my lead from insiders. Yeah. Uh, so for for me, it would be probably uh, a buy or uh, sorry, not a buy, a, a hold or a sell. Yeah. 
um, I'm not thrilled about it. Okay, you no, thrilled by no, it? No, absolutely no. not. Why bother? I mean, if it, well, why bother? It's I mean, if I see the the disagreements between analysts now whether Blue Scope Steel is a buy or not, uh, imagine what the opinions yeah. would be on on the, one of the minnows in the sector. So that 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 that, that settles that for me. It's <laughs> going to be very messy. Um, prospects for cyclicals from here and, 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 and the small caps will be at times uh, will be hit much harder than the large caps. All right, let's do our little wrap up, shall we? Because if we start with number six on the list, we're talking about Senex Energy. It, it all comes with this caveat in the oil and gas space. You know, this is a pretty good one for the guys. So uh, for Rudy, it's actually a buy. Um, he is talking about, you know, the growth, irrespective of oil and gas that Senex can have. Uh, and we are waiting for, you know, a bit of an update coming in two weeks' time. So this might even continue to show strength in the short term as well. Claude Walker is actually, relatively speaking, pretty excited about this oil and gas play. And uh, one of the pluses for him is that we have seen director buying. And it's got a profit inflection point as well. So the risk versus reward is pretty well positioned for Senex. Chorus, it's a hold from both of them. It's a weak hold for Rudy. It's a firm hold for Claude. Um, won't get into too much of the detail, but uh, Claude says that some of the regulatory risk is gone. And uh, Rudy says that, look, it's critical infrastructure, but why go to New Zealand? We've got our own that you could potentially invest in. Shaver Shop. So the big question here is, yes, it's done well. Yes, it's benefited from lockdowns and work from home and all the rest of it. But what's the longevity of that story? Questions Rudy. He says, you know, it's pretty on the expensive side. And both of them have done their own research and saying when it comes to the bricks and mortar, footfall in those stores is not looking great. And uh, Claude says, really, it's failed to capture the imagination of the market until this lockdown. So, you know, take away the pandemic. Potentially, what does it have going for it in terms of growth going forward? Web Central Group, it's, oh, sorry, 5G Networks, 5GN for Lisa. It's a small company in Rudy's view. Why? It's uh, buying up as part of its strategy. Melbourne IT was not a good business before. Why would it be now? Size and history just makes it a no for Rudy. It's a no for Claude as well, even though he gets a lot of questions about it. Except the rich life. He says the momentum trade might continue, but doesn't know when it's going to end. It's a roll-up model, not the best way to strategically be running a business. Bizzle Alloy Steels, BIS is the ticker code. Um, look, Claude is not an expert in this field, admittedly, uh, but he says, why doesn't he then just take his cue from what the directors are doing and they are selling? So enough said there. Rudy also saying that when analysts can't agree on the outlook for Blue Scope, the big one in the uh, sector, why would you take a risk when it comes to a small player like BIS? So that's a no and also messy for cyclicals going forward. Huge thanks to Claude Walker from A Rich Life for joining us remotely. Really appreciate your time and your insights as always, Claude. I, um, I, uh, I know you'll be keeping an eye on that ASX announcements page closely. Rudy Philip Ekman, Dyke, uh, FN Arena. Thanks. I do read FN Arena daily, so there you go. Appreciate it. I paid her for the plug. <laughs> we are. Um, look, always taking ideas for companies. Flick us an email at the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at ausbiz. Uh, TV. And a reminder, if you'd like to get the calls portfolio, I know a viewer has written in saying that he missed that email address. It's at the bottom of your screen. I should say the web address. It's osbiz.co backslash portfolio. So not .com, .co. All right. Uh, get the latest from the team into your inbox, the COB. You can do that again. Uh, osbiz.co backslash join. 
And um, we've got markets coming up after the break. We will be speaking with the CEO of Frontier Digital Ventures. I know a lot of people ask about that one as well. And then after that, the Startup Daily Show. So today, the team is joined by Irene Falcone. She is launching Sands Drinks. It's a new wine and beer range that takes out the alcohol. Could it be the next liar or seed lip? Well, we'll find out. It's coming up on the Startup Daily Show. We're back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.